Then God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord, your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol or any likeness of what is in heaven or on earth or in the water under the earth. You shall not worship them or serve them. For I, the Lord, your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children, on the third and fourth generations of those who hate me, but showing loving kindness to thousands, to those who love me and keep my commandments. Verse 7. You shall not take the name of the Lord, your God, in vain. For the Lord, your God, will not leave him unpunished who takes his name in vain. And verse 8. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male or your female servant, or your cattle or your sojourner who stays with you. For six days the Lord made the heavens and all the earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Let us pray. Our gracious God and Father, we come before you now in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, and in the strength and power of your Spirit. And we ask that you would assist us now to hear, to believe, and to obey your word. I decrease, Lord, so that you may increase, be glorified in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. Once again, I greet you in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Welcome you on this Lord's Day Sabbath evening as we continue our series, What is the Church? What is the Church? Last Lord's Day evening, we considered seven points concerning the freedom that we have been given by Christ Jesus. We learned that our conscience is free from condemnation. Because we are in Christ, our conscience is no longer bound to sin. Or to the condemnation that would be ours because of our inability to keep the law perfectly. Therefore, there is now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Because this is the case, we are therefore free from the religious commands of men. We are free from the religious commands of men. There are no religious duties that man can impose on us. No religious duties that can bind our conscience to obey. We are free from the commands of men. And with that said, we are not free from the commands of Christ. We are free from the commands of men, but we are not free from the commands of Christ. Our conscience is not bound to the religious commands of men, But our conscience is bound to the religious commands of Christ, all of the commands of Christ that are contained within his holy word. We are not free to disobey Christ. We have been freed by Christ to obey Christ, not been freed by Christ to therefore then have no law on our lives. The question that arose from that point is simply then what has Christ commanded? What does God's word teach and how must we live in light of what God has commanded? Or how can we agree on what Christ has commanded in a way that will keep us accountable to all that Christ has commanded? We concluded that the answer to that question is found in creeds, confessions, and constitutions. A confession of faith is a declaration of what we believe that the scriptures teach. It is summaries of what the Bible teaches. It is, therefore, the doctrinal basis for the unity of the church. We unite together in this common understanding of the Word of God. We are of the same faith. We confess the same things. Therefore, we can hold one another accountable according to this common standard of doctrine, the confession of faith. We learn uh, in the same breath that constitutions are also critical because they form not only the, the doctrinal basis of our unity, but also the 
practical basis of our unity. It is how we will live. Constitutions tell everyone beforehand, before they join the church, this is how we will live practically, and this is how we will also live doctrinally. We are free to consent to these things. We're free to say, yes, I agree to that constitution. Yes, I agree to that confession. No one imposes that on you. You have the freedom to to consent of that of your own free will. No one has forced you. No one has pulled your leg. You must believe these things or not believe these things. They are accepted by your own agreement when you become a member of this church. We learned that the church has been given freedom to consent or affirm and deny new members and new officers of the church. That is our freedom. No one can impose a new officer on you. No one can impose a new member on you. No one can remove an officer from you. No one can remove a member from you unless the church consents of these things. In the process, the officers of the church are called to work together with the members of the church. They are uh, two keys that are turning one uh, together. They are not two separate keys that turn individually and separately at, at, at different times. They turn together at the same time. And when we do so, we have a church that is functioning, governmentally at least, the way that Christ has ordained the church to function. Uh, Finally, we learn that there are matters in the church that are simply wisdom choices. And those wisdom choices do not violate the authority or freedom given to the church. And now today, with the Lord's help, we'll be answering and answering, or asking and answering, hopefully, the question, what is the goal of our gathering? What is the goal of our gathering? According to the scriptures, what must our worship be? And we will have five points this morning considering concerning what shall our worship, what should our worship be? Number one, purity in worship. Number one, purity in worship. We have just read Exodus chapter 20 verses 1 through 8. We must prioritize purity in our worship. That's our priority. The question is then, what does it mean for our worship to be pure? What does it mean for our worship to be pure? And how do we achieve pure worship? Just to reiterate what has been said and stated in the past, worship is all that we do when we gather. Worship is praying. It is reading the word. It is preaching the word. It is singing. It is the Lord's Supper. It is baptism. Listen, it is even our listening and our fellowship when we gather. They are all acts of worship. Worship is not primarily singing. Worship is all that we do when we gather. When we talk about worship, we must understand that we are seeking purity in worship. Worship must be pure. How do we accomplish and achieve purity in worship? In the commandments that we have just read, the first four commandments of the Torah or of the law, we read that God has declared that he alone is to be worshipped, that we are to worship no other gods before him. God has commanded that we must not worship anything that is created, whether above or beneath the earth, for God has declared that he is a jealous God. We are not to make or take the name of the Lord in vain. We are not to use his name in ways that dishonor him. But we are to use his name and and ascribe to his name the highest of honor. And God has commanded that we remember his Sabbath and that we keep it holy. That he has set a day that we are to worship him. So then what does it mean to keep worship holy or to prioritize holiness in our worship? Providentially, my family and I are in the 55th question in our Baptist catechism, and it is this. What is required, the question, what is required in the second commandment? And here is the answer. The second commandment requireth the receiving, observing, and keeping pure and entire all such religious worship and ordinances as God hath appointed in his word. God is jealous. Jealous for what? For his creation to worship him alone. How do we keep our worship pure? 
we keep our worship pure by centering and focusing all of our worship on him alone. Worship is pure when worship is directed toward him and in the way that he has commanded. Worship is pure when it is directed toward him and acted out in the way that he has commanded. That is how worship is pure. This is how we have pure worship. When our worship is directed toward God alone, and it is done in the manner in which he has commanded, our worship is pure. Purity of worship is emphasized in the Old Testament. In the first five books of the Bible, the Torah, purity is required in order for one to come into the house of the Lord. A sacrifice was required for those who were deemed or viewed as being impure. Purity before God was necessary. And if one was impure, that is, uh, that their worship was, was not directed toward God, and it was not done in the way that God had commanded, they were judged for their impure offer of worship. In Leviticus chapter 10, we see the wicked sons of Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, they offered what the Bible called foreign fire or strange fire to God. Rather than offering to God what God had commanded in worship, they offered to God something foreign, something other than what God had commanded. And rather than God consuming their offering with delight, God consumed the two wicked sons of Aaron. They were burned in an instant with fire. What was the reason for God's judgment upon these two wicked sons? They were wicked, yes. It was because they did not worship God in the way that God had commanded They did not offer pure worship to God. They believed that they could, like Cain, give to God whatever they wanted to give to God. What was God's rebuke of Cain? If you do right, will you not be accepted? If you offer to him, God, that which God has required, will it not be accepted by God? The implication is yes, it will be. Brothers and sisters, we have not been given the freedom to worship God any way that we like. We've not been given freedom to uh, join together and begin to make up things that we think would be fun in our worship. God has given us instructions on what he requires from us, and we must not deviate from what God has commanded. When we march through the Old Testament into the books of First and Second Kings, and even into Second Chronicles, we read, and you may remember this as you read those books, we read of the kings of Israel and the kings of Judah. And at the end of each of their reign, the scriptures give a summary of their rule. And it's based upon whether or not they conquered lands? No. They acquired much gold? No. They had many wives? No. They had many sons? No. The scripture gives a summary of their rule and reign, and there's, there's, the summary is based upon whether or not they worshiped God or whether or not they chased after idols and did not tear down the Asherah poles, the idols of the day. The success of that particular king, that tenure of that particular king, was determined by their obedience or their disobedience to God's command to worship him alone and to bring down false idols. The good kings... They kept worship pure because they obeyed God and they were called good kings. The wicked kings led people astray. And how did they do that? By allowing idolatry, allowing people to worship other gods. And when this happened, they were deemed as being wicked kings. God requires and demands pure worship. And when God permitted the pagan nations to invade Israel and to despoil them, to deport them and to exile them. What was God's reasoning? Why did God allow his people to be exiled, deported, uh, and to have all of their spoils removed from them? God's response is because you have worshipped me in vain. Jeremiah 19.4 Because they have forsaken me and have made this place an alien place, and have burned sacrifices in it to other gods. They neither, they nor their forefathers, nor their kings of Judah have ever known. 
And because they have filled their place with the blood of the innocent and have built the high places of Baal to burn their sons in the fire as burnt offerings to Baal. Listen to what he says. A thing which I never commanded or spoke of, nor did it ever enter my mind. Answer, it was because the people did not keep worship pure. They worshiped God in ways God did not command. Worshiped ways God in ways God never even thought of never even uh, conjured up in his own mind because they came from the minds of men. And when men worship God from the minds of men, men are worshiping men and not God. There's a church in this city that when there is a time for music in their, in their church, they take paint, paint brushes, and they begin to hit blank canvases with the paint as an act of worship. And those who are the spectators in the church watch in amazement because they believe it is God himself who is painting the picture. Those pictures are then placed all throughout the halls of the church as look at what God has done. I believe God would say the same thing to those people as he said in Jeremiah. That never even entered my mind. That never even entered my mind. God did not command that kind of worship. Brothers and sisters, when we gather for worship, we must keep our worship pure. And how do we do that? By focusing on what God alone, by focusing on God alone and focusing on what he has commanded. Our gatherings are in his name, according to his command and for his glory alone. Our gatherings are not our playground. Are we allowed to worship God in ways that best suit us or our particular desires? Our worship must be pure. What do we adore about God when we gather? What do we adore about God when we gather? It's number point, uh, point number two. Our inward emotions <clears throat> respond to who God is. And this will be consistent, so you can write this each time for the next few. What he has done... And what he has said, our inward most emotions respond to who God is, what he has done, and what he has said. True worship is a response of the heart. It is worshiping God in spirit and in truth. That, it is, that is, it is worshiping God with a sincere heart in accordance with what God has commanded. We are to worship God with what? All of our heart, all of our mind, all of our soul, all of our strength, all that is within us, we are to worship God. We are not merely to be those who worship God externally, but do not worship God internally. But we are to worship God with all of our hearts. We are not to worship God externally, but have no inward heart devotion to Him. All that we are is to be devoted to God in worship. The, the Lord Jesus rebuked the people of His day. Quoting the prophet Isaiah in chapter 15, verse 8, Matthew 15, 8, saying, These people, they honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Our worship must be kept pure. If we are not doing just the, if we are only doing the right things outwardly, but not feeling and thinking and desiring the right things inwardly, we are not truly worshiping God. Uh, turn to the book of Psalm, chapter 77, please. Psalm 77, and we will be turning to a number of psalms, so keep your place there. Psalm 77, verse 6 through 12. Listen to the psalm of Asa. <clears throat> I will remember my song in the night. I will meditate with my heart, and my spirit ponders. Will the Lord reject forever, and will he never be favorable again? Has his loving kindness ceased forever? Has his promise come to an end forever? Has God forgotten to be gracious? Or has he in anger withdrawn his compassion? The writer in the book of Psalm, Asaph, is going through great turmoil. His heart is in great distress. And brothers and sisters, where does he find solace for his weary soul? He tells us in verse 10, Then I said, It is my grief 
that the right hand of the Most High has changed. I shall remember what? The deeds of the Lord. Surely I will remember your wonders of old. I will meditate on all your work and muse on your deeds. In the midst of turmoil, in the midst of great distress, the psalmist begins to meditate on the work of God. His heart internally instructs him because his heart belongs to God. He begins to internally remember the work of God, to remember the wonders of God. And he has said, as he has said, and so too we should respond inwardly to the mighty works of God. It's what he has done. When we gather for worship, we must exalt God for who he is, for what he has done, and for what he has said. And those three important things should never stray far from our minds. Who God is, what God has done, and what God has said. Let us never forget those in our inward parts. Let us never cease to rejoice in him and worship him because of these things. We must not only praise him with our lips, but we must declare from the depths of our, of our hearts, the springs that, that spring forth, the worship and praise to God for who he is, what he has done, and what he has said. Turn to Psalm 119, verse 46 to 40 or to 50. Psalm 119. I will speak also, I will also speak of your testimonies before kings and shall not be ashamed. I shall delight in your commandments, which I love, and I shall lift up my hands to your commandments, which I love, and I will meditate on your statutes. Remember the word uh, to your servant in which you have made me hope. This is my comfort in my affliction, the word that your word has revived me. Listen to the language there. Notice the language of the psalmist. Love and hope and comfort. What causes the psalmist to love? To have hope? To be comforted? Where does he find these things? They are in the testimonies of the Lord. They are in the commandments of the Lord. In the statutes of the Lord. The promises of the Lord. The heart of the psalmist is responding inwardly. And because of what God, who God is, what God has done, and what He has said, those things are governing his, his distress. Does that describe you when we gather, brothers and sisters? Do you love His commands? Do you find hope and comfort in who God is? Do you find hope and comfort and love in what He's done, in what He said? Is it true in the depths of your heart? We do in this church as little as possible to orchestrate what we do when we gather for worship. Meaning this, our worship is very simple. Let us pray. Let us read. Let us stand and sing. Let us give. Uh, let us give attention to God's word as it is preached. Then let us pray and let us sing. We leave the rest to you, don't we? Does the song or does the sermon move you to tears? Can I help you for a moment and cry? You will not be judged. Does it lead you to joy? Then smile. Can you pray with your eyes open? Or do they have to be closed? It doesn't matter. It's a, it's a matter of distraction and eliminating them. But you can have your eyes open if you'd like to. There's no law against that. It's not a, you guys know that, right? It's not a sin. Close your eyes. It's not a sin. Can you lift your hands and worship? Yes. Is it a sin? No. Does it mean that you're more spiritual than everyone else? No. You've been given freedom to express these things that are taking place inwardly, to express them outwardly. As long as it's not distracting anyone from Christ, then worship God. We all enter the house of God with different emotions, with different approaches, and we all worship together. We all come together. Some are crying. Some are smiling. Some are silent. And I have learned and I'm still learning not to judge people one way or the other depending on those outward external experiences. 
Are they less holy or more holy? No. We all are worshiping God in different ways. But as long as He is our focus, who He is, what He has done, and what He has said is the focus of our worship, then our worship is pure. Number three, we worship, uh, we outwardly worship God for who He is, what He has done, and for what He has said. We outwardly worship God for who He is, what He has done, and what He has said. Pastor Isaiah asked this question this morning in passing. Why are you here? It's an important question. Listen to some of these potential reasons. Are we here because my family is here? Are we here because, well, my friends are here. People that I like are here. Are we here because I like a particular preacher? And his ability, preaching-wise or... His great knowledge theologically. Are we here because we like smaller churches better than bigger churches? Brothers and sisters, these are very important questions to consider. What is the correct answer? The correct answer is, we are here because of who God is, what God has done, and because of what God has said. That's the correct answer. And this is important, especially, let me say this, Especially if we have family here. Because I've seen in the past that when we can affirm, I am here because of God. And yet if one of my family leaves, members leave, then I'm leaving. Because I'm more committed to my family than I am to, what, to who God is, what God has done, and what God has said. Why are you here? Listen to David as he expresses his reason for worshiping God, Psalm 36. Psalm 36, verses 5 through 7. Your loving kindness, O Lord, extends to the heavens. Your faithfulness reaches to the skies. Your righteousness is like the mountains, O God. Your judgments are like a great deep. O Lord, you preserve man and beasts. How precious is your loving kindness, O God. And the children of men take refuge in the shadow of of your wings. David helps us to put our worship in the right path, on the right path. And what is at the center of his worship? It is God. God is at the center of his worship. The steadfast love of the Lord, the faithfulness of the Lord, the judgments of the Lord. The Lord is a refuge and a shadow for his people where we can take refuge in his wings. David has exemplified the reason for our worship. It is the Lord and all of his perfect, all of his perfections. David has given us the correct reason of why we worship God. And there is an outward expression in worship that is connected to a right understanding of God's perfections inwardly. That is the light of who God is. That the believer has been given a certain outward expression in response to who God is, what he has done, and what he has said. What is that outward expression? We we know that there is an inward going on, inward expression, inward something happening. How does it come out? Psalm 66. Psalm 66, verses 1 through 5. Shout joyfully to God, all the earth. Sing the glory of his name, make his praise glorious, say to God, how awesome are your works because of the greatness of your power. Your enemies will give, uh, will give feigned obedience to you. All the earth will worship you and will sing praises to you. They will sing praises to your name. Come and see the works of God who is awesome in his deeds towards the sons of men. The psalmist has declared through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit God has commanded, shout joyfully, sing, make his praise glorious, say, sing praises. These are outward expressions in response to inward convictions of God's mighty deeds, in response to the power of God. These are the response to who God is, his perfections, what he's done, 
what he said. This is the, these are some responses. When we gather, we are outwardly expressing, expressing within amen of affirmation, with our voices lifted joyfully when we sing, and with our shouts of praise to who God is, what God has done, and what God has said. Someone said to me a few weeks ago, is it okay for me to say amen when you preach? Or when there is preaching? And I said, yes. That helps me. That encourages me. Please say amen. I love that. You, you, are, not, uh, you are not not allowed to say amen. If it is true, then affirm it with an amen. If it is not, then say nothing. Interesting. None of you said anything. Psalm 138. I will give you thanks with all my heart. I will sing praises to you before the gods. I will bow down toward your holy temple and give thanks to your name for your loving kindness and your truth. For you have magnified your word according to all your name. What does David said that he will do outwardly? Give thanks with all of his heart. Sing praises. He will bow down. He will give praise. What do we do when we worship God? What do we do? When we worship God, why do we worship God? Because of who he is, what he's done, what he's commanded. What do we do in response? Well, there's a number of things that we do, right? This is why we gather. We, we understand that we have gathered because who he is, what he's done, what he said. And when we uh, uh, gather in obedience to all of these things, we are gathering in pure worship. What do we do then? Listen, if it is pure worship... We gather. If it is pure worship, we gather. Do you know that your gathering is an act of worship? That when you come, it is an act of worship. It is an act of worship. Therefore, our, our gathering, our singing, all of the things that we do are then acts of worship because they are responses to who God is, what He's done, and what He said. Our reading is an act of worship. How? We are listening to preaching. We are listening to what God has said. We are praying to the one who has said all of these things. They are all acts of worship. I wonder if you are mindful of the fact that you're listening even, as you're doing now, is a response to who God is, what God has done, and what he said. The Lord Jesus said, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Must you only attend? If attending is an act of worship, do I need only to attend and no more? Listen to the, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm not a, uh, I'm still a Reformed Baptist, even though I'm going to quote this, but I think it's wonderful. The Westminster Larger Catechism, question 160 asks, what is required of those who hear the word of God. Listen to this. What is required of those who hear the word of God? The answer is that we, with, that we attend, listen to this, that we attend with diligence, preparation, and prayer. Examine what they hear by the scriptures. Receive truth with faith, love, meekness, and readiness of mind. As the word of God, we receive it as the word of God. We meditate and confer of it, hide it in our hearts, and bring forth fruit of it in our lives. Brothers and sisters, when God's word is preached, do you have a holy expectation for what God will accomplish through the preaching of his word in this service? In any service that you gather in, in this church, when you attend upon God's word, the preached word. Do you have an eager expectation as if you were in your favorite restaurant waiting for the waiter to bring to you your favorite meal? Do you have that kind of anticipation? Listen to this. When you go to your favorite restaurants, your favorite ones, do you usually fall asleep there? Or are you eagerly Awaiting your favorite dish with anxious anticipation. You don't want any more bread because the bread is filling you up so that you will not be able to fully enjoy the course that you have been waiting so desperately to receive. What preparations do you make before you attend this time of worship? 
Are you eagerly anticipating it like that? Think about the day. Is the schedule of your day clear? Have you eliminated all distractions? Or have you made other plans after this service and later on that would cause you to be less attentive to God's word as it is preached? Or even in all aspects of worship, get this song over with. That is a long pastoral prayer. I wonder how long he's going to go tonight. Or have you obeyed the command to make this day holy that is set apart so that there is nothing to distract you from your time of worship with God? Have you prayed that God would be with you as the word is preached? As preacher preaches, as the word goes forth, have you prayed that your heart would receive it? That your mind would be alert, that, that even the strength of your body would be such that you would be leaning into God's word rather than falling back in, into a sleep. What about during the sermon? Ask yourself this. How well are you worshiping God during the sermon for who he is, what he's done and what he's what he has commanded in your listening? Uh, listening, brothers and sisters. Listening, although it may seem like it, it's not a passive act. Listening is active. You are, it's a participating act. Listening. Let me say, if you've not learned yet, listening takes a lot of effort. Doesn't it? Doesn't it take a lot of effort to be attentive? Doesn't it take a lot of effort to not allow, allow your mind to, to wander into, uh, just so that you know, this is why I sit in the front. Because I am easily distracted. I am easily looking at who's walking in, who's walking out. Why are they getting up so many times? Why can't that baby be quiet? Why don't they just take him to the back? I, those are all of the things that go through my mind. Ooh, he's falling asleep. His head almost went down. His head almost went down. It's going to fall down. Those are easy things for me to be distracted by. Don't act like you've never done those things. Listening takes effort, listening takes focus. Listening takes attentiveness. It takes me, you, zeroing in on every single word from the preacher. Why? Because you are enjoying it as you would your favorite meal in your favorite restaurant. Just as you would enjoy every bite and be sad when you get to the last bite because there is no more. So also when God's word goes forth, we should be consuming it with great joy, consuming it with great delight. Not thinking, when will this be over? Hearing takes work. There is a hearing first. There's an examining. And then there's a receiving that takes place. This all means that it, it, it requires great discernment. We must be Bereans. I've heard, and now I must examine. And if it is true, I receive that with great joy. Uh, preaching is to be received with faith. Excuse me. Preaching is to be received with faith. Preaching is to, re to be received with love, with meekness and readiness of mind as God's word. We are to ask God to help us to allow his word to penetrate our hearts. Lord, allow your word to penetrate my mind. Allow your word to even penetrate my life so that after the amen, I live out God's word as it has been preached. The sermon is over and our amen at the very end is not the end of our requirements to what God has said. We are to meditate on God's word. We are to think about God's word. As the, the Westminster Catechism says rightly, we are to ponder on God's word. Think about it deeply and further. When God's word is preached today, as it was in the morning and even tonight, go home and do more. Learn more about what was said today. Ponder it deeply and then confer. Uh, confer to it. That is, talk about it. Confer to it. This helps after the sermon, as we did this morning. Ask someone, what did you learn from this morning? What was helpful for you this morning? What, what penetrated your heart particularly? That's helpful. Talk to the elder about it. Talk to the members about it. Uh, tell the elders, that was a very helpful sermon and here is why. That won't give us a big head. That will help us to understand more how we might help you better in different areas. And also, maybe what we did good. What we can improve upon. What we cannot do next time. Those are helpful things. Confer to it uh, with each other and with others outside of this church. When was the last time you talked to someone outside of this church about what you're learning in this church? 
you would go and tell someone how good the meal was at your restaurant. How good is the food here? People should know. You eat here often. What do you think? We are to hide God's word in our hearts as well. Hide it in our hearts. And also pray that the Lord produces fruit that comes forth from that word. That the word of God produces fruit. The word of God should stick to us. It shouldn't slide off of us. The word of God, when it goes forth, it should stick to us and, and grow. It shouldn't just slide off. There should be living fruit pouring out of our lives. We should be thinking about the word of God throughout the week. It is our weapon against sin. It is our weapon against temptation. It is the, the very thing that will hold you throughout the week. One preacher said when his sermon was, was uh, when he was complimented on his sermon, uh, good, good sermon preacher, the preacher said that the sermon has only been preached. It has yet to be lived. As a sermon is preached tonight and from this morning, we must therefore live and go beyond the sermon as we uh, live throughout the rest of the week. We worship him because of what he's done, who he is, and what he has said. Our worship, yes, it is a, it is a shout at times. It is a praise. It's a song. It's a joyful song. It's an amen. It's a nod in affirmation. It is our hearts being bowed before God. It is our heads being bowed before God. It is a host of other outward responses to who God is, what God has done, and what God has said. And all of those are right, and they are biblical. We must be careful, then, not to judge those who may not always have those outward exp uh, expressions, positively or negatively. They are so holy or they are so not holy. We must be aware of that. I remember as a young man, I would at times ask my mother if I could go sit with my friends in church. And she would say, yes, but you better raise your hands when the songs go forth. And so I would sit with my friends and she would be maybe sitting in front of me somewhere and I would be talking to them and she would look back at me and point to me with a finger and I'd go like this with my hands. But <laughs> Because it was, for her, the outward expression of your holiness. But there was no inward holiness. So we must be careful not to say or command outward things when there is no inward reality. And we must be careful that if someone does not do the outward things, that there is no inward reality. Let us beware of that. Are the outward expressions a true display of worship to who God is, what he has done, and what he has said yes? Then worship God. And we all are worshiping him in different ways. Let's move on to our uh, Psalm 19.4. Let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing to you in, in your sight, O Lord, my Redeemer. Let what comes out of me be true in my heart. Number four. These will be shorter. Our worship must be a source of unity. In so many psalms, there is a call for believers to join together in worship. Oh, let us worship the Lord. Sing with me. Shout his names together. Shout, oh, you peoples. There is a consistent worshiping, gathering together. The worship of God is a public, communal, and collective command. God has so designed the elements of worship that these things that we do, that they're done together with the saints. What do we do together? We read the word together. We listen to the word together. We turn to the scriptures together. We pray together. We sing together. As the preaching goes forward, we sit together actively under God's word. We take the Lord's Supper together. We witness baptism together. We financially together contribute to the work of the Lord. We affirm and deny together, etc., etc. God has designed that his worship be done in a collective manner. And it is designed to promote unity in the body of Christ. Why do we do all of these things together? Because we are one. Not because we are a collection of individuals. Because we are one in Christ Jesus. Worship is about people giving God glory gathering together to proclaim those things and anything that would prevent us from gathering together we must deny it and run from it what do you mean pastor antonio let's talk about quickly two trends 
One of the trends that has developed over the past 15 to 20 years has been 9.30 service, 10.30 service, 12.30 service, so that everyone can go to the service time at their own convenience. They have even adapted so-called styles in those worship services. The early service is the more traditional service, where hymns are sung, and where, frankly, most of the old people will go. The later service is designed and called the contemporary service, where mostly younger people go. Brothers and sisters, on the surface, this may seem like a great idea. Everyone can go to church any time they want. You can get up late. We're still not going to miss the service because there's one at 1230. We'll still catch one. It may seem like a great idea, but what it has done is it has separated the body of Christ into factions and groups and ages and styles of music so that your church doesn't look like a church. It looks more like something that you would see at the Maya Theater. There's a showing still. We can still make it. And it also has individualized church. It's about you. You don't like that style of worship? Don't worry. There's a different one later on. Or you can go to another one earlier. You don't like that time? Don't worry about it. There's another one at a later or earlier time. It's connected to a trend that arose in the 50s. Where did it come from? There was a trend that arose in the 50s that still exists today and now is a booming market called youth ministry. It, is, it was a time when the adults felt like Maybe we should do something that can help our children stay in church and learn, maybe at their level. So no longer did children sit with their parents, but they would send them away. And as they got older, the classes began to develop, and they would have different professionals to lead those different groups. Until, until the, the, the word and the phrase became, they're going to children's church. They have youth ministry. And so those kids grew up from the 50s and from the 60s. And as they grew up, they learned that there was a different style that was more adapted to the way that they liked it. And so as they grew and as their parents grew, they wanted to have those churches more and more separated. And that's why we have separations of churches and times and styles because those kids grew up and they still want to have separate church. They still don't want the church and the worship, the the God of their parents. They want a different God, one that is more like them. One that's more hip. One where the pastor can wear cut-off jeans and Jordans while he preaches. It separates the church when the Bible says there is no Greek and there is no Gentile. There is no slave and there is no free. That we are one in Christ Jesus. When we teach our children to go... This is why they only have them for a certain amount of age here. And we can do it right. But when we teach our children to go, we are saying that this is not for you. When they're sitting in the service and we say, draw, read, play a video game, do something other than listen. We are saying, because you don't need to hear this. It's not for you. No, all that is God's word is for those who have ears to hear. When we gather and we sing, we gather together. We sing together. Uh, I was so encouraged when we were in... Uh, Washington, D.C., Capitol Hill. There was a particular church that had at least a 1,000 members. And guess how many services there were? One in the morning and one in the evening. What do we do when we have more people than a 1,000? Then you've got to stand up. Or we'll plant more churches. That's the right way to do it. We gather, we sing, <clears throat> and we make our songs easy to follow. The melodies are easy to catch on to. They're new to you at first. But before you know it, you say, I know that song. I can catch on to the melodies. I don't know the words just yet, but I'll learn them. The melody is easy. We pray together. We read together. We sit under the word of God together. We sing at a volume where we can all hear each other at least. I can hear my neighbor, and I'm encouraged to join my voice with theirs. There is not a, a, a rocking uh, electric guitar and there is not a, a loud drum to where I can't even hear anything except the music. I can join with my brothers and sisters. I can sing with them. I can hear them. They can hear me. Our worship is not perfect, but it's seeking to be. Because God is the priority of our worship. The perfection of God, the holiness of God, the wisdom of God, the, the most true, the most wise God. We worship God. We worship Christ, the life of Christ. 
The death of Christ, the resurrection of Christ, the ascension of Christ, the gift of the Holy Spirit, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit's work in the believer's life, the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit, and so much more. We worship God. Turn to Ephesians chapter 5 in closing. Ephesians 5. Actually, i got one more point, and it's a short one. Ephesians 5, verse 18. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks for all things in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ to God, even the Father. Paul describes worship as something that is directed toward God but something that we all participate in together. Colossians 3.16, Let the word of Christ dwell within you, richly dwell within you, with all wisdom, teaching, and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thanksgiving and thankfulness in your hearts. How does the word of Christ dwell in us richly? When we gather for worship, when we sing to the Lord together, it's an act of corporate unity. I praise your God. You praise my God. We praise our God together. The God of our salvation. The God of our covenant. The God of our life. And what's the result in closing, brothers and sisters? When pure worship is present, it most represents what heaven will be like. When pure worship is present, it most represents what heaven will be like. When we worship God, who he is, what he has done and what he has said in the manner in which he has commanded, then we get a taste of heaven. We get a taste of heaven. And it may seem like, I wish there were more here. I know that. But in heaven, they will all be there. We will all be there. The day, this day, that we worship the Lord is a foreshadow of that eternal day in the new creation wherein what we enjoy on the first day of the week the Lord's Day the new Christian Sabbath will most reflect what is ours in part now but what will be ours in full in the new creation when our worship is pure we get a taste of heaven now there's much more into that isn't there much more could be said but brothers and sisters there is another thing that we will do when we gather or when we gather That is a taste of heaven. And that is that we partake of the Lord's Supper. And when we come and worship the Lord in unity, we partake of the one bread, the one cup, and we display that we are one in Christ and that we will be one forever in the new creation and that when we join with Him forever, we will be with all of the saints and we will together sing, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God who was, who is, and who is to come. And he will be there before us. And we together will be joined with all saints, old and present. And we will, with one voice, worship the Lamb. Let us pray.